I wanna heal, I wanna feel what I thought was never real. I wanna let go of the pain I felt so long. I wanna find something I've wanted all along. Somewhere I belong. Hi there, this is the Atypical Anesthetist, A Squared, back with you again for a much delayed episode. Um, the original recording for this started at the end of September, believe it or not, um, and then we hit the second wave. Um, on a side note, let nobody be under any illusion that we had a second wave and then a third wave. No, this is still that same second wave which was inadequately dealt with by the government. Anywho, uh, I'm not here to rant about on about politics. Uh, I ranted on about politics with Rashad a few episodes ago. Um, <clears throat> the verse that I spoke in the intro is a line from well it's a verse from the song somewhere i belong by lincoln park one of my favorite bands of all time um and i feel very sad uh for chester bennington's untimely death um that line when i first heard it uh i heard it late uh, i must have heard it because i know that album Meteora came out probably 2002-2003, maximum 2004, um, I must have heard it 2009-2010, something like that, and it really hit me, and it hit me because I have always felt this sense of being rootless and being uh, without a place where I belong and this is one of the reasons that I say that I'm atypical and I'm not your usual brown doctor so this is going to be a single hander by the way I've got no guests or anything um, the next couple are going to be like this so my family is of Indian extraction uh, from the Dakkan area of uh, India, modern day Telangana, um, Hyderabad is the major city there, Bangalore, um, you know, the famous Silicon Valley of India is also um, r relatively not far. When I mean relatively not far, I mean by Indian standards. I mean, you know, um, it's still a 12 hour rail journey. And, um, you know, uh, 10 hours by road. But uh, in Indian standards, that's normal. Um, after all, India is literally the size of Europe. Um, to go from Delhi to Hyderabad by plane takes two hours, which is the same time it takes to get from the UK to the Argave uh, or to um, Greece, probably. Maybe not Greece, Italy probably. Um, so you can imagine this, the size of this country. Anyway, I digress. So, 
they're from that area of the world. Now, most um, South Asian immigrants to this country um, come from a certain select areas within South Asia. They either come from the Mirpur region of Azad Kashmir, the Punjab region of Pakistan, the Punjab region of India, because Punjab was uh, bifurcated during the partition of India and Pakistan, the select area of Bangladesh, or the Surat and Baroch areas of Gujarat. Um, there's also a sizable amount of what you would call East African Asians. These were Asians who, uh, again, predominantly of Gujarati uh, extraction, but some Punjabis as well, uh, who initially had gone with the British to uh, East Africa, what was then British East Africa, now Uganda, Kenya, Tanzania, and then migrated uh, when they were, well, not migrated, they were kicked out uh, by despotic rulers over there and came to this country in the 70s. The thing about all these groups that have come is that they have come almost en masse. They have come uh, whole families, whole villages, um, extended families, what, whatever, whatever. And so, for example, uh, you would they would even speak very peculiar dialects of the predominant language. So, for example, uh, the Bangladeshis who came from Silet, the Silet dialect is actually uh, quite different to standard Bengali. And uh, similarly, the uh, Mirpuri dialect, Potwari, spoken by the Kashmiris um, is very uh, particular uh, to that area of Kashmir. It's not spoken, for example, in Indian Kashmir. Punjabi is a uh, much uh, more common language um, and a large amount of uh, people speak it and it does have standard registers. Um, Gujarati also um, doesn't have as much of a uh, specific dialect either. The one common denominator for me is that I am none of these. I am not of this that uh, troop of immigrants. I would say easily 85%. Uh, of South Asian immigrants in the UK would come from those groups, I would say. Somebody can correct me if I'm wrong. So I come from a very specific uh, part of India. I came as one of what you would call the doctor generation, in a sense. There were a lot of doctors who came to the UK in the 70s, 60s, 70s and 80s, predominantly 60s and 70s, uh, who uh, came from different parts of India, South India, North India, wherever. They came on their own. Um, they had plans to do fellowship examinations, membership examinations, join Royal Colleges, whatever, get training. 
and plans to go home and i would say less than 50 percent ever managed to do so because you come you get settled you know you get married or you were married your wife comes over you have kids the kids get into school and your kids become default second generation immigrants and i am of that uh group this therefore means that I speak a language, Urdu, but a particularly uh, but a particular dialect of Hyderabadi Urdu known as Dakani, which is not spoken predominantly um, anywhere outside of the Hyderabad region and definitely not spoken in this country. Um, other, people, other people who speak uh, Urdu or Hindi, when they speak to me, they can tell that I have an accent from that area because I just speak what my parents spoke me when I was a child or what they uh, taught me um, it means I don't have much family in this country till till 2010 I had no other family apart from my nuclear family mother father sister me my wife my kids you know um, only then did one cousin uh, emigrate also in the kind of doctor fashion. He was a doctor who came and is now settled. Uh, another cousin has subsequently come. Again, similar situation. Um, and so, I don't have a community that I belong to. Um, I grew up in a white town. So, I didn't grow up in these kind of mass enclaves or uh, ghettos that some might call them that exist around the country where you have predominantly ethnic minorities you know Spark Hill, Spark Brook in Birmingham uh, Wolverhampton, South Hall, Bradford, Blackburn, Leicester, um, Manchester these places with large ethnic minority populations I grew up where I was, to make the uh, little Britain joke, I was the only Asian in the village. I wasn't, I wasn't technically the only Asian in the village, but I might as well have been. Okay, so I grew up, sorry about white Caucasian people, predominantly working class. Um even though my father was a doctor, um, where we lived and the school that I went to was a comprehensive. And uh, this led to some real um, identity problems for me uh, in my teenage years. When in, when in your teenage years you are thinking about who you are, what you belong to, where you belong to, um, it gets quite confusing. My mother tells me a story that when I was five years old, I got called uh, Paki at school. And uh, I was understandably, well, I wasn't so much upset, but I didn't, I didn't get it. I was only five, so I didn't get it. And so I remember asking my mother where we were from. And I said, 
And my mother said, we speak, we're from India. And I said, yeah, but aren't Indians mainly Hindus and we're Muslims and Pakistanis are mainly Muslims? And she went, yes, but there's lots of India Muslims in India. Fun fact, there's about almost 200 million, uh, 14% of the population. Um, so I said, okay, what language do we speak? We speak Urdu. But isn't that the language of Pakistan? Yes, but we speak Urdu. Another fun fact, India has 13 official languages which can be used um, in, you know, in government. Urdu is one of them. So, um, it's all very confusing for a five-year-old. So then I said, we're Muslim, right? Yes. And where did the Prophet Muhammad come from? Well, he came from Medina and Mecca, which is now in modern-day Saudi Arabia. So apparently, I the next time I was called a Paki at school, I said, I'm not a Paki, I'm from Saudi Arabia. Um, so you can kind of see, even at the age of five, I'm slightly confused as to where I'm from. I was also born in Wales and did my primary schooling in Wales. I don't have much of an accent because um, I left, as I said, in my primary school years. Uh, this was a function of the fact that my father at the time was a junior doctor and had to wander around the country. And because he wandered around the country, I didn't settle in any particular place. I didn't have any roots in any particular place. I meet people now, for example, who, you know, they talk about how they've grown up in particular areas and they know everybody on their street and they know everybody since they were two, three years old, whatever. And I just never had that. I didn't, I didn't. We didn't settle down till I was about eight, eight years old, something like that. That too, as I said, in a white town, with very few Asians. Uh, in the eighties, where racism was endemic. To be completely honest, I don't think we. I think we've gone back to exactly where we were in the eighties. Um, we had a golden period in the nineties where uh, racism really seemed to be on the way out. Multiculturalism was on the way in. Then 9-11 happened, then 7-7 happened, and then the increasing anti-immigrant rhetoric, rise of UKIP, Brexit. Um, I kind of feel like we've gone, we're back to where we were uh, in the 80s, um, which is a real shame. Um, Britain could have been something, and it's uh, chosen to spectacularly shoot itself in the not even in the foot, should shoot itself in the, in the head. Um, so I was very confused as to where I was from and what who I belonged to and what I did. Um, I We never went to India often because of financial constraints more than anything else. You know, people used to go yearly, every two years, things like that. We there was one period I think fifteen years we didn't go, so I had very little connection to India. So I thought of myself as a Brit. I in fact thought of myself as a Welshman because I said, "Well, I was born in Wales. You're from where you're born, aren't you?" Um. 
This reminds me of a racist joke that used to be said that just because a dog is born in a stable doesn't make it a horse. And it was a racist joke. Um, I wonder if there were, there is actually a little bit of truth in that. Anyway, um, the, we can get to that later. Anyway, I then, um, so I kind of thought of myself as British, Welsh-ish, you know, I would support the England cricket team, I would support the Wales rugby team, just because that's one thing gets, that gets drilled into you when you're, when you're in Wales. Um, wasn't really, I mean, I was a big fan of football, and I used to obviously follow England and how they did. But I wasn't a passionate England football supporter. I was more into club football, Manchester United for the win. I'm still a die-hard Man United fan. Uh, sometimes against my uh, better choice, but you know, once you, you know, once you plant your fingers on that mast, it's kind of difficult to change. Um, and so, I then go to university. And I'm now bombarded, I'm in Birmingham, I'm now bombarded with all these different ethnic minorities, all these different cultures and things like that. The one thing that had remained constant in my entire time was my sense of being a Muslim. Uh, I had always had an interest in religion, my parents were quite religious people, but they were religious people... Uh, with brains and I don't want to say this in a derogatory manner to anybody else but they knew a bit about their religion they weren't just following traditions as it were you know um, my father used to read extensively he read lots of uh, uh, books lots of thought he's a you know a very erudite man uh, my mother also you know, she uh, was reasonably re well read in the Islamic sciences. Layman, not anything more than that, but you know, could quote verses of the Quran, could quote sayings of the Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings be upon him. Um, they instilled in me the insistence of five prayers to the extent that when I came across people, Muslims who didn't pray five times a day, it didn't compute it still doesn't compute in my mind i don't understand how the second pillar of islam you can just throw away like that but anyway that, that that's a discussion for a subsequent podcast probably on my uh my religious journey here i'm focusing more on my identity journey i suppose um so anyway i'm I'm in Birmingham. I'm quite um, f settled in my Islamic faith, as it were, uh, both from a rational and personal perspective. Um, there is an Islamic journey to speak of, um, but that's not really relevant here, and I shall address that in a subsequent podcast. So... 
At first I found it incredibly liberating. I was around further brown people. People who look like me, dress like me, well, dress like me anyway, but look like me, ate like me, um, the same religion as me, didn't have to make excuses as to why I couldn't go to the pub, couldn't make, I didn't have to make excuses about why I didn't drink or why I couldn't eat this because this wasn't halal or whatever. You know, it was it was brilliant. Then after a time, I started noticing that I didn't fit in. I was Muslim, yes. And I could uh, hold on to the wider Muslim identity. But I wasn't Pakistani. I was Indian, but I was Muslim. Most Indians I met were either Hindu or Sikh. Um, I spoke I spoke Urdu as the first language. Now, a lot of people uh, could understand Urdu or speak Urdu or Hindi, which is this kind of sister language. But it wasn't their main language that they spoke at home. As I mentioned, it was these Us Punjabi or Silati Bengali or... Uh, uh, Mirpuri, Patwari, etc. So, and the fact that everybody, well, not everybody, but most people came from these kind of heavily ethnic minority areas before. And they would talk about this cousin, that cousin, this uh, uncle, or that person, this, that, and the other. And I was like, I have nobody. It, I, you know, uh, which is, it, it was just an empirical fact. I had nobody. Um, and I've spent years struggling with this. I, I suppose it is relevant to mention here, I suppose. I, fl- I flirted with the idea of a pan-Islamic identity, you know, where Muslims were nothing else. But that's not the reality on the ground. You know, pan-Islamism as an ideology um, has always failed. Whenever you've tried to get what would seem like homogenous nations with the same who are Muslim. Sorry, let me rephrase that. When you, when you get heterogeneous nations but who happen to be predominantly Muslim and try and put them together in some kind of union, it nearly always falls apart. Pakistan was originally West Pakistan and East Pakistan, but it broke up into Pakistan and Bangladesh, partly over language issues. The Arabs had had many times tried federations, United Arab Republic between Syria and Egypt, federation of Arab countries, uh, which involved a lot of the North countries of North Africa, all of these fell apart because um, it seemed that whilst Islam is a binding factor, you need more if you want to build a nation state, which is something which uh, political scientists and whatever have now discussed at length. Um, but anyway, it meant that... Um, if you wanted to hold on to an Islamic identity, you almost had to, at least I'm talking about in the early 2000s, late 90s, early 2000s, you almost had to deny 
any other type of identity. So I found people becoming very kind of pseudo-Arab. You know, uh, this is amongst religious Muslims. You know, and they would almost, you know, they would go around wearing Arab-type clothing and using Arabic terms in their speech. And you would think to yourself, why are you trying to act in like a Saudi when you're not? And plus, you're living in Birmingham, mate. Um, this is why I say I'm atypical. I, I still struggle with this, actually. It's been, I'm now well into middle age. I want to be British. But Britain is getting increasingly hostile. I visited India many times now, much more than I had in my youth. And I've seen how that country has become increasingly hostile to Muslims under a Hindu nationalist government. I am Muslim, but Islam is a religion, not a nationality or ethnicity. So... I still struggle with it and I'm still not sure exactly where I belong um, my children have a slightly more uh, strike okay let me rephrase that slightly less of a problem they're much more comfortable being British you know because this is all they know. They go to India once in a while to meet relatives, but that's it. Um, they're more than happy with it. Um, they don't even have the language, really, which is a shame. I haven't been able to impart the language to them as well. They understand Urdu, but they don't. They speak it very, very badly. Um, and... I quite like the idea of a British Muslim, except, you know, that, you know, what a multicultural, open Britain like we had in the 90s, early Blair years. But we don't have that now. We have a xenophobic little Englander type of Britain in which the Brexit has occurred, Scotland may go independent, Northern Ireland's a basket case. Um, and... English is not a identity, it's not a civil identity, it's an ethnic identity. You can be English, you can be Scottish, you can be Welsh, you can be Irish. These are racial things, ethnic things. Britain was like an all-catch term. It's part of the reason why I've had a kind of secret admiration for the United States. I understand the United States going to the to Helena Basket with a deeply polarized nation, four years of divisive rule under Trump, a very divided country, a very divided country. Um, in some parts, very Islamophobic very anti-immigrant in some parts 
majority non-white. Um, so, but there was always a concept that you could be American and something else. Italian American, Irish American, Jewish American, Mer- Arab American, African American. You know, the having a dual identity wasn't a problem. It seems to be a problem here. Um, and it's getting worse, as I said, with what I see as the potential breakup of the uh, UK within my lifetime. Um, it's going to get more difficult. Um, I don't know the answer. There are times where I push it to the back of my mind and say that really who cares the realities of the ground are that I am a British citizen with a British passport happens to be of the Muslim faith and has some kind of Indian background Um, but it I don't know it's strange it's strange being I remember the worst feeling at university was being rejected by everybody coming and seeing people that look like me and talk like me for the same religion as me but I was rejected to the Pakistanis I was Indian to the Bengalis I was Urdu speaking to the Hindus and Sikhs from India I was Muslim I was like there's a phrase in um, Urdu Galika Kutta no, let me rephrase that. Sorry, I got that wrong. It's It means that the the dog that belongs to the washerman, because in India you have people who come, wash, you know, take your clothes, wash your clothes and bring them back. Their dog that comes with them doesn't really belong to the street that he's collecting the clothes from. But he also doesn't belong at the uh, the washing area because that's just washing other people's clothes. I just still don't know the answer. I wish somebody would give me an answer. Um, it's probably fueled some of my more harebrained ideas. I've often thought of joining the army. Often thought of joining the RAF um, because I feel that that'll give me a sense of belonging. It's far I'm probably too late for that now. Um, uh, plus there's all the moral questions of uh, fighting in unjust wars and things like that. Islamically, I've thought about joining a Sufi Brotherhood. You know where you you belong because you have an affiliation to a particular Sufi method, Islamic mysticism. But I don't. I think that's a poor substitute. Um. I apologize that this is a slightly melancholic episode. But I do believe that there are positives to this. The biggest positive is that I see things differently. I I can see things from multiple angles and I can see things from multiple perspectives. 
because of my unique upbringing um i can see how uh being ghettoized isn't very good i can't i can see why having an attachment to your inverted commas home country is not going to get you anywhere because you're not you're not from there it's a uh, another joke i said in india that i'm too british to be indian but too indian to be british um and again it makes me atypical and i think um maybe that's where i belong i belong in the the people who are different who can then bring a different take and different perspective to issues that are occurring or problems that are going around i hope that was interesting uh please do like and subscribe to my podcast a typical anesthetist I apologize for the wait in so many episodes. Um hopefully there will be more episodes coming soon and as I said I'm going to try and do an Urdu only one more to see if I can do it and see if I'm up to the challenge. Um more than anything else. Anyway, This is A squared signing out. Take care chaps.